Hey there, I'm Chris Jansman, author of the Sean Corbett Investigates Mystery Series, and I'm excited to share with you another wonderful conversation with a dear friend. This time, we're chatting about my romantic holiday-themed short story, Snowdrifts. It's the first time I ventured outside my normal genre, so there's plenty for the two of us to discuss as we dig deep into the background for one of my secondary characters. We'll try hard to avoid spoilers, but be warned, we do assume you've already read the short. So if you're ready, pull up a chair, pour yourself a nice cup of hot cocoa, and join us as we discuss Snowdrifts. Well, this book is all about Suzanne, so let's start with her. Suzanne seems to question being with a detective. What holds her back from being with someone in this line of profession? You know, that's a good question, um, which is partly why I wanted to kind of do this short story, because we don't know a lot about her. I mean, well, we do. It depends on how far you are in the series, of course, and I, I don't want to spoil anything for readers that haven't gotten all the way through the most recent book, which as of the time that we're recording this, I think um, The Witch is the most most current book that's out there. Um, but I don't know if it's Suzanne questioning being with a detective so much as being with somebody else in general, because she's coming from a pretty disastrous marriage that we learned a little bit more about as part of this book. We only have hints of it in... When we first see her in Blindsided, we know she's on the rebound from something, um, especially because she's more or less the prime suspect or one of the prime suspects in Blindsided because she happens to have bought a weapon uh, that she has on her that matches the same weapon that the uh, uh, person has been murdered with. Uh, kind of an unfortunate coincidence <laughs> in some cases. Yes, um, for her. That's... For her, yeah. yeah. New person in town has the weapon that matches the murderer. Hmm. <laughs> Happens to be hitting on the police chief. This is not a good look for, for, for someone. No. <laughs> um, but I, I think in general, it's more, I, I don't think she's really feels like she's holding herself back because Sean is a detective and everything that comes with that. Although we do have some hints of that as we get further into the series that she's not especially comfortable with the danger that comes with being a police officer. I mean, on the face of it, being a police chief in a small town feels like it's probably going to be a slam dunk of a job you know he punches the clock every day goes home and that's it and it turns out to be a little bit more involved than that and he winds up placing himself into danger more regularly than she probably assumed that was going to happen so i think there's a little bit of that further in their relationship where she maybe transitions out of being uncomfortable being with anybody to maybe it's a little bit off-putting to be dating somebody who might not come home some night um, without any kind of notice. Um, I, I think, not to tie it to another book, I think it's a little different on the Vasily side of it, the way Alejandro feels about Vasily, just as a comparison between the two. Suzanne really is more fixated on coming out of a, a bad marriage and worried that her heart isn't ready for somebody who might, who shows like they care for her, but she's not really sure that they do. And, and kind of the worry of allowing herself to trust that somebody really is going to be her partner versus somebody who's going to use her, whether it's emotionally or, or otherwise. I think that's really where that comes from. Uh, she's just not, at least as, as we're seeing her in, in this book and also in, or the short story rather, in Blindsided, which is where it's coming out of. Um, I think that's that's really more the case, I guess. Very long-winded answer, I guess. <laughs> he says. <laughs> no, that's, that really does help. It is insightful. So let's talk about the setting. 
Well, there's a sense of nostalgia in how you write about Maine. Do you miss it? I do. Um, I really do. I mean, I've been in Arizona for uh, a long time now, uh, so we're closing in on 25 years um, in a bit. So I'm almost, I've almost lived here longer in Southern Arizona than I lived in Maine, which is a little weird for me to kind of think about. But there are a lot of aspects of living in Maine that I do miss. Um, I miss, because Maine is, it's, it's rural and metro at the same time, which is kind of a weird concept, I suppose. I grew up outside of Portland, uh, Maine, which is probably, I know for sure it's the biggest city in the, in the state, but that general area around Portland and Southern Maine is probably <laughs> one-tenth as big as the Tucson metro area. So it really had kind of like this community feel to it. I mean, I didn't know everybody in the city for sure, um, but it was small enough that you could kind of wrap your arms around it and kind of feel like you knew what was going on and had the pulse of the city. And Maine writ large is kind of along the same lines. I mean, most towns are kind of self-enclosed, if that makes any sense, uh, especially the smaller mm -hmm. towns that when you get further away from the big city and you go along the coast where Windport ostensibly is, uh, or further north into the smaller towns that are along the Canadian border, people have lived there forever. And I grew up in a town that was kind of this transitional town where a lot of people have lived there for a long time and had roots going back three or four generations, but there were a lot of us that were kind of moving in uh, from places like southern, uh, southern parts of Maine or Massachusetts even, which was, being from Massachusetts is not actually a great uh, thing to have on your resume when you're in Maine uh, for a lot of reasons, and we can talk about that later. So I, I lived in a transitional town where it kind of still had that small community feel where people had lived there for a long time and grandparents of grandparents had kind of built the, you know, the, the school and the church and the, the farms that were there, but it was becoming more of a su suburb of Portland and more metropolitan where more northern parts of Maine and the coastal parts of Maine still kind of retain this very rural, um, multi-generational feel where time in some ways has kind of passed it. The, the people have lived there forever, their family's been there forever. They still go to the big city from time to time, in this case, Portland or, or Bangor, which is uh, where where Windport residents would probably go, just based on where it's located. Um, but there's this feel of community where people do know folks. They know exactly what's going on in the community to a greater or lesser extent. Um, it, it resonates as home, I guess. And I haven't found that same kind of thing here in southern Arizona. We're, we're very much bigger. I think where you live too, and I, we won't give your specific location, uh, but where, where you, you guys are um, is kind of the same way, where it's huge. And, and maybe within your small little clutch of friends and family that live close to you, you might still have that sense of community. Um, but not to the same level as, as what I felt growing up in Maine, or certainly in the communities that I worked in when I was actually still work, living and working in Maine in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, so I miss that part of it. I also miss the seasonality. I mean, Tucson, I've lived here long enough that I know what our changes are here. We kind of go from light brown to dark brown to light brown. <laughs> a little tinge of green in there yes. during monsoon. It's very subtle, but it, it does exist here. And it's very different than the very drastic seasonal changes that happen in Maine. I mean, you really go from... Um, uh, you, you come out of a, the depths of winter, you've got this what feels like forever season where it's cold and ugly and wet and, and dark and brown and suddenly it's, it's April and there's grass that needs to be mowed and flowers that are coming up out of nowhere. 
Uh, and then this beautiful summer that feels really, really short that uh, winds up kind of having its zenith in August when you've got a couple of weeks of super hot temperatures. Uh, and then suddenly it's school in September and the leaves are falling and uh, color is, is bursting out across the mountains and the, and the forests that we live in. And then we're back to this winter thing again, <laughs> where there's, you never really know how regularly you're gonna get it. Some years you get lots of snow, some years you don't, but it feels like it's this forever cold that lasts sometime from late October all the way into maybe April. Um, but they're jarring differences. I mean, it's like you go from, it really, it's like turning pages in a chapter. You really do get this, this really hard change of season. And we, like I said, here in Tucson, it's very subtle. We do. I mean, we're, we're right as we're recording this, it's, it's uh, December and we've just gone through, um, three weeks ago, we were in the nineties and now our highs are in the, the upper seventies. I mean, just like that, really in the Tucson version of that, we've gone from summer, which lasts 10 months <laughs> into forever to, to what will be our winter from now until sometime in, in early April, when suddenly it begins to climb into the eighties again. Um, so it's not quite the same. And I miss, I miss aspects of it. Do I want to move back to Maine? No, absolutely not. If you're going to ask me that question, I would tell you right now, um, <laughs> for sure not. Uh, and this is no surprise to my family. So if they're listening to, to the podcast, this is definitely not a surprise. They're me. not crying. They're, they're used to it. <laughs> they are. Yeah. I mean, I, in many ways I've been on this multi-year um, uh, pitch to try and get them to come here. And, and that hasn't quite worked yet because for the same reason, my family that's still back East, they're part of that community. They, uh, I mean, in some ways, some of what my characters uh, uh, draw from that comes from my own family that's still back there. And, and their sense of being and belonging really comes from that. And, and I can't blame them. I mean, I, I, to, to my own, I guess in my own way, we've kind of put down roots here. So I do have that kind of, like I mentioned earlier, we have my sense of community here. Uh, but I don't feel it's quite as in-depth as it is back east. Uh, so no, I'm not going back. <laughs> so how do you keep your perspective fresh then? If you're not moving back, but you're still writing about it. Well, I go back regularly. I mean, I guess if that seems a bit like a um, um, counterintuitive, I suppose, if I'm not moving back, I do go back regularly. And um, I do have family back there. So it gives me the excuse to go back and visit while also doing location research <laughs> for the books. Um, yes. <laughs> But it, it um, so I, I, and it's interesting too for me uh, as somebody who doesn't live in Maine regularly anymore. Um, going back, I pretty much go back once a year, sometimes twice, depending on what's going on back there. Um, and seeing it change gives me kind of this weird sense of of entropy that I'd never really thought about. Um, you know, I have a picture of, uh, and maybe you do too, from places that you you grew up in. I have this weird view of what Maine is supposed to be and I go back and discover there's a skyscraper in a parking lot that I wasn't expecting or my the university not the same I, no exactly or the university <laughs> I, I graduated from University of Southern Maine in my brain is still this very tiny campus and it's not I mean it has really grown quite a bit in the years since I graduated from there um, and Portland itself has grown I mean the the, the skyscrapers not so much I mean there's a finite amount of space in Portland <laughs> <laughs> it's right up against the coast, so there's not a whole lot of, of growth possible there. And it's a very historic city, much like Boston, so there's not a whole lot of appetite for tearing down old stuff and putting up new stuff uh, in the same way. 
but even the highway. I mean, when I when I left Maine, Interstate 95 was two lanes, and when I came back for the first time, it was three lanes, which is like, it, for them, it's a big deal. For me, living out here in Tucson, that's like finally. <laughs> uh, but all the years that I was living back there, you know, only having two lanes of the interstate was, um, we used to endlessly try and engage when tourists were coming into the state so we knew when not to use I-95 because <laughs> two lanes is pretty. It's a bit like trying to get through Palm Springs on Thanksgiving. I think it's the closest thing I can, I can kind of use as a metaphor. And Palm Springs is six lanes, as you know. Um, and Thanksgiving is like the worst time to be on I-10 out here. Um, so it's a bit, it's a bit like that. Um, so I think seeing that as a writer allows me to kind of develop how Maine has changed too for our characters because it, Windport is this fixed thing for me. I mean, it, it is a town or village really that mimics some aspects of, of communities I, I knew when I was back there, like Rockport and Bar Harbor. Um, which were very much a product of their time, a very ocean-faring, fishing, industry-based kind of community. And that whole industry has kind of shifted. Um, so they're, But the city or the villages or the, the communities along the coast still remain um, and have a lot of the artifacts left over from that. In some cases, like in Windport, some of those things have been repurposed into you know, more touristy, touristy kind of things. Uh, in other cases, the the community has died. I've got a good friend who is from down east, you know, way down east, closer to the Canadian border, where the community has just withered away, and it's down to the last of the last of the last of people who just won't move because that's the only place they've ever known. But there's no hospital or or, or pharmacy or grocery store or anything that's not more than you know less than an hour, ninety minutes away, because everything has shifted away from that. So I see all of that now from a different perspective going back. You know, if I were living there, it's a bit like the frog in the hot water metaphor. If I were living there, I wouldn't see it. It would just kind of slowly kind of change around me. Going back in these year increments, I kind of have these pointers where I know, okay, this is really different from last year and it's different from the year before. So I can kind of all get that sense of it. And that allows me to kind of make main, at least in my brain, a living creature too. It's another. It's another character, just like the other ones that I'm writing about. Um, I'm not as plugged into the the socioeconomic stuff that's going on back there. So when I whenever I crack open a new novel, I've got to kind of pay attention to what's going on in Maine and decide whether or not I want to include any of that uh, or not. Uh, usually, I don't, except for certain pieces. I mean, I, I as you know, Winport has had its little economic boom and bust cycle. Now it's in a boom. Now, yes. uh, well, as, as writing the snowdrifts, tourism. yeah, snowdrifts is a part of the, the economic downturn cycle. So Winport's not doing so great in, in blindsided and obviously in, in snowdrifts. But by the time we get to Bewitched, um, there's, you know, the tourism, m much to the chagrin of the people living there, it's become kind of the Kennebunk of the East Coast and, and a cruise ship destination, which is actually what's happening along the coast of Maine. There are an amazing number of stops now where, where cruise ships that you wouldn't have thought of 20 years ago are actually literally pulling in and people are getting off and wandering these former seaside communities just because. I mean, for me growing up back there, yeah. I don't see the appeal to getting off and looking at you know former, <laughs> former canneries, but um, certainly I could see the leaf peeping because I used to do that. We would drive to New Hampshire and see the, the colors in the White Mountains uh, because that was something that was much more... 
uh, vibrant than what we could get to in Maine. So I can kind of see it. If you've never lived there, I can see the attraction. I mean, I totally get it. Um, uh, you know, from my perspective, going and visiting downtown Los Angeles is really cool, you know, because I don't live there. Uh, but if I lived there, I wouldn't, I wouldn't find the same attraction, I think, to wandering around down there and kind of scoping out places. So um, I guess that's how I do it, is I do go back regularly enough, and I still have people that live back there that can find, feed me tidbits that I kind of keep it, um, keep it new and fresh for me, and also for the characters. So they're also existing in a world that's changing, too. And I want to make sure that it's not just a pocket of time um, that I'm still writing about 10 years from now that doesn't exist <laughs> in Maine any longer. Yes. It is living and breathing. And you talk about that in your writing. And you often say in your blog that characters make unexpected choices or you have surprises that are in their backstory that you are unaware of. Mm -hmm. Did that come up in Snowdrifts? It did. Uh, it did. Um, uh, spoiler alert, you know, if you haven't read Snow Just and you're listening to, to this podcast, this would be a good place to stop <laughs> and come on back. Um, yeah, so I, I think I've, ta I've talked about often in my blog and, and in um, the end notes of the books that the characters often do stuff that I don't anticipate. I never anticipated Basili walking out of Win Winport and Sean's life in the end of the first book. And I'm glad he did because it's become kind of an interesting side story to keep going with. He's not really a side story. <laughs> He's actually his own thing. Um, and the same thing with Suzanne. I, I know her background, but not all of it has been shared with the readers because it hasn't come up. You know, stuff is maybe happening off screen with, with her and her and Sean that, that just hasn't been relevant to any of the plot points that I've written about up to this point. One of them is that she is an award-winning figure skater, and I had never had a reason to work that into anything. <laughs> um, it's just one of the, you know, I, I don't know. Honestly, don't know where some of these things come from. Really don't. Um, but she's been a figure skater in the back of my head since the beginning of her appearance in the series. It just didn't, just didn't work into anything. And I had this brilliant opportunity where uh, in, in Snowdiff, Sean points out that the, the skating rink at Deering Oaks in Portland is open for the season. And um, did I do that intentionally? No, my subconscious did though, because as soon as that hit the page, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I finally had a chance to kind of use this little tidbit I know about Suzanne. And so I did. And the, uh, there's a sequence in the book where she, she for whatever reason decides to walk from her apartment to Deering Oaks, which is the, um, in Portland, that's actually the, the center, their version of Central Park, for those of you who are, are thinking of, of uh, Parkland, or here in Tucson, it would be Reed Park. Um, Los Angeles, I'm sure, has got millions of, of community parks. I don't actually know. That's a, that's a good question. Um, yeah, but, but so, and I, I grew up in Maine, so I also know that this thing exists because I myself as a child had gone to Deering Oaks on multiple occasions and saw the rink, saw people ice skating. Um, there's even a wonderful story about when they were filming the remake of The Bishop's Wife, uh, which I think became, um, was, I don't know if it's The Bishop's Wife in the Denzel Washington version of that. I think it's The Preacher's Wife is the, the remake of that. But anyway, in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, they, they came to Portland to, Portland stood in as Philadelphia, which is really wild. <laughs> <laughs> um, really they made that comparison it, it really it did it wasn't Portland it was actually another city uh, but they came specifically for the snow 
and it didn't snow while they were there filming uh the of course it's supposed to be a, yeah it's supposed to be a christmas movie so they they trucked in snow and they, they it was cold enough that it could actually get ice on the on the skating rink that they use at Daring Oaks, but they had to truck in fake snow for the sequence where they're actually skating in, in Portland. Uh, big deal in Portland at the time, you know, that they came to the city. We were really pissed that it wasn't Portland by name. It was another city. <laughs> at some point, we'll talk about my, my worries about Cabot Cove not really being a thing. Everybody thinks it exists in, in Maine, too. Um, but anyway, it's a place I've gone to. I, I was there as a child. I've been there as an adult. Uh, so I knew about it. And I also knew it's just, if you can imagine this most perfect kind of snow-driven sequence where um, there's this beautiful park that's got tall trees that are dappled with snow and, and you know, the perfectly done skating rink that you can get to an easy walking distance. It was just a slam dunk to get Suzanne down there and, and also figure out how to get her on ice skates. Which Sounds does. beautiful. And it, it, it actually, it was, it was designed to be a, a, one of those kind of aha, I know more about Suzanne moments, but also to be just a beautiful moment on the, in the short story where we know, we find out more about her, where maybe she went to, you know, what, what her stress reduction might be in the future. Mm -hmm. I may have to figure out now how to work her into, uh, work a skating sequence into one of the bigger novels, I suppose. <laughs> um, but it also allowed me to shade her differently so that we get a little more dimension to who she is and what she did to get to be the doctor that she becomes. I mean, she actually essentially skated through college competitively, which is a thing. Um, and she actually went to the same university that Sean did, but she's older than Sean. So she actually had already checked out and gone into the, her medical program long before Sean actually shows up at uh, the same university to do his swimming thing. And then the difference of opinion where she had the opportunity to go do it for the Olympics and she chose not to, but Sean went the other route and did become an Olympian. So there now I've kind of set a bit of a thread there that we may actually be able to do some, some interesting discussions about why, why wasn't she motivated to go in that direction? Uh, what was it that, you know, she kind of hints at it in, in this short story that she, she knew it would be a meat grinder and didn't want to go into it. Um, and I've, I've hinted on the Vasily side that maybe being going to the Olympics wasn't a smooth experience <laughs> either. Uh, but we haven't really talked about Sean other than he's done it and he's got the medals to say that he did it. But he's, it's pretty much opaque. So now I've kind of got an entree into the two of them discussing it as well, which I hadn't planned that when she skated off the ice and took her skates back off again, it occurred to me that I had created that thread that we could actually continue later. Um, so that did surprise me, um, that early on, I didn't really know that she was going to go figure skating. Uh, also didn't know, I knew she'd been a figure skater. I guess I, I should put it this way. I knew in my backstory, she'd been a figure skater, didn't know she was a decorated one and that she had the opportunity to actually do great things with it and decided not to. That was different. And that was not something I was expecting. Um, but like I said, it, it created a little more dimensionality to who she was, yeah, or who she is, rather. <laughs> I don't want to say was. People think I killed her off. And then, <laughs> and don't kill her off. Yeah, uh, she's not going anywhere. She's not going anywhere. But um, it's pretty cool. And, and she's, that's not the only thing that's happened over the, over the course of these books. The other characters have done stuff that I hadn't planned on, or they say things or do things that I didn't, under, didn't know was going to happen. 
So what prompted you to write essentially a romantic short? And will there be another? <laughs> well, uh, murder is a dark business and I have written a number of them now. Um, I think I just, I'm still putting the finishing touches on book 14 as we're, as we're talking through this today. Um, so I, I guess there are a couple of things. One is my stories aren't necessarily dark, but they do deal with dark subjects and, and, and murder is not a warm and fuzzy thing <laughs> anyway. And I think I wanted, um, if it makes any sense, I wanted a palate cleanser that I could kind of sneak in there so you could actually kind of get as a reader, a chance to kind of see the characters out of what we see them in normally. Um, when we talk, when we see Sean and Vasily and Suzanne and, and Alejandro, it's usually around the periphery of the main story of whatever's going on, which is getting to the end of, of um, getting to the bottom of, of whatever mystery we're working on in that particular book. Who killed who? <laughs> who mm -hmm. killed whom? Who, whom killed who? I'm going to, now the English people are going to be upset with me. <laughs> Um, and I do a lot of stuff on the sides in those books. So there, there are things that are going on in the characters' lives, and we do have side stories that kind of illuminate that. But I, I wanted to do something, I, and it's been in the back of my head for a while, I've always wanted to do a holiday theme something. And I wanted to involve the secondary characters as the main characters, because we don't really get a chance to kind of see the world from their eyes, really. We're seeing it through the Sean's eyes or Vasily's eyes. And we see those characters kind of how they, they interact with our main characters in that way. And I really wanted I really wanted to hear Suzanne think and see what her world perspective is on her own. And kind of these in a in a, in a different sense, how does she see Sean? I mean I sort of had a sense of it, maybe, based on her interactions, but is it really kind of the way I thought it was? And it turns out it's close. Um, I mean, she had a lot more fears than I realized, and going back to your earlier question, I don't think I knew she was that scared about getting into a relationship <laughs> with somebody when we, were, we saw her in, in Blindsided. That's probably an artifact of writing more books in the series and knowing where we're, gonna, where we're going with her relationship and him. Um, but I, I think that was the first thing. The second thing was that I was I was stuck watching a series of Hallmark Christmas movies while I was visiting a relative a while ago. Um, and I thought, gosh, I could probably do something like that. Um, and, and I could actually do it in a way that would kind of round out my Windport universe in a, in a sense to get to know our people in a better, a better way. And also didn't want to do something, I, I only had a finite amount of time. I didn't, I wanted to do something that wasn't a full novel because I'm not really interested at this point, not yet. I mean, it depends on how well Snowdrush does, but I'm not interested in, in changing genres specifically um, and writing a full on romance uh, or drama. I mean, I, I think there's some overlap in, in regular fiction and for romance sure. for that. Um, I'm not willing to give up the mystery aspect of things yet. Uh, so it is a bit of an experience. You like the dark side. I, I do, and it was a bit of an experiment to see can I can I write something that's good that doesn't include that second layer, which is the 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 mystery of the week, as it were, uh, and how the characters react to that. Because I often use the mystery to kind of probe how my characters are reacting to the universe too. And without that particular guidance, I wasn't sure if this would this would kind of work the same way I wanted it to. 
But I wanted to do something fun, too, if that makes any sense. I mean, for, as a writer, you always kind of want to do something a little new and different. And I've tried to make each of the books different just so that they both, for me as a writer, they're still unique and different and fun to work on. But as the reader, they also are different. You know, you're not getting the same kind of thing. Every, I mean, you're getting Sean Colbeth <laughs> or, or Vasily Korsakovic, uh, but you're not getting the same kind of story each time. Uh, you know, it's not, okay, first three chapters is going to happen this way, middle three chapters is going to be that way, or middle act, and the third act's always going to end the same way. It doesn't, and I've tried really hard to make sure that that's the, that's the case. But I wanted to be outside that structure. So can I do something short that's under 60 pages, but also is kind of a fun story that's holiday romantic, and allows me to kind of build in all these characters. So now that I've said it that way, you can see there's actually a lot of bullet points that I was trying to actually squeeze into this book or this novel or a short story. It's not really a novel either. Um, and it was a challenge to try and do all of that without kind of getting into so much exposition that you forgot why we were doing the short story. <laughs> because I could have just done a, you know, a 60 pages of who Su Suzanne is. Believe me, I got plenty of content to, to kind of do that. So I think that's that's why. Um, and I figured a romantic short that was holiday themed would be kind of fun and fluffy and something that people could come back to and read again and again um, uh, and still enjoy it and maybe find a new angle to what I had in there every single time that they read it. I'm still finding stuff, even though I wrote it. <laughs> I'm still finding different <laughs> angles to, to how I wrote it. And then the final thing too, is I want this to to fit in my canon properly if that makes any sense so I, i've kind of built out a universe and i've built out people and i built out things that happened to them and you've experienced some of that as a reader but i also wanted to embellish that a bit too so if you do read these in the right order now so if you read blindsided and then happen to read this short some of suzanne's reactions later on begin to make a little more sense and you see them from a different angle I think, than if this little short story didn't exist. I mean, uh, Suzanne is a very complicated woman and uh, I want to give her enough of, of, of a depth to it so that when she does certain things later in the series, it's not coming out of left field. I don't think it will anyway. If you haven't read the, the short story, it will still kind of fit. But I think you'll get more of a, more of a depth to it if you actually read this little short and, and understand what's going on in her world and her worldview. Um, I guess I wouldn't say that wasn't the final thing. I think the other final, final thing is that I, I wanted to kind of remind myself that love is a very healing thing. And I, I don't always think um, that's something people will remember, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. There's all kinds of pain that you can experience emotionally and, and relationship-wise. Um, and sometimes we're not always, and this is just me speaking, I'm not pulling this from any psychology uh, other than my own. I think that, that love does heal. And I, I'm a very romantic, curable romantic when it comes to that. Um, you can paper over a lot of stuff, <laughs> assuming that love will triumph over all. But I actually believe in that, and I feel that my characters should experience some of that too. Um, and I knew Suzanne was, was hurting and she really needed to come to a better place, um, after her divorce and after everything that she'd gone through. And Sean represents that, but she needed to allow herself permission to experience it. 
and she had to get to a place where she could do it. And to do it in a romantic holiday short felt like the best possible way to kind of go through that with her, too. So anyway, that's what I was going for. I, I think it kind of works in that direction. I hope it does. <laughs> um, it certainly did. I, I did like the break. I, I liked it. it was different than the others. But I love Suzanne. So mm -hmm. it was uh, nice to get to know her a little bit more um, yeah, in her world. It, it totally was. Now, to your other question, will it be more? Yes, there will. Um, I, I already have one written that actually is a short from Alejandro's perspective. Very similar idea in the sense that it's a holiday-themed story. Um, I had originally planned on releasing that one first, and I, I can't because it contains material that hasn't <laughs> happened yet in, in the regular series. Uh, I wasn't smart enough to actually back it up, but I can't, I can't write this story from Alejandro's perspective without stuff happening. Um, it has to, it wouldn't make any sense to do it sooner. He has to be in a certain place. He's got to be in a certain place. He has to have grown a certain way. Whereas back, in Suzanne's yeah. case, the, the, the framing was different because we're coming at it from uh, an earlier point in her, her, mm -hmm. her life and her connection with Sean. Um, I want to continue to do these, so I'm I'm anticipating doing one or two that will come out every every holiday, that'll be very short and maybe ultimately wind up being a, a collection of of shorts too. But it feels like a really nice way to kind of talk to the characters that are not main characters and have their moment in the sun, um, but also kind of extend the storyline. So Alejandro's next. I've got one plan for Rosie, which I'm pretty excited about because um, I. What just about Charlie? Well, Charlie's a tough one. Um, I like her a lot. I love her to pieces. And she's a... I feel really bad about this. I mean, she really has not had as much character growth, I think, as I had planned for her. Um, just because other things have happened and other people have come into Sean's life. And we, we've talked a bit about her relationship with Sean and how they grew up together and all that kind of stuff. But really haven't really spent a lot of time with her so i feel a little bit like she's been given short shrift um so she's on the list but i just don't know how to do it um yeah that's um i i also would like to do something from um uh the new guy who as we're recording this i'm, I'm trying to think i think the new guy is in bewitched uh so norm who has joined uh sean I think he yes. joined Sean and he joined us right? <laughs> So I'm not spoiling anything there. Uh, so Sean finally hires a replacement for Vasily, who's not really a replacement, uh, obviously. Um, no, but he Norm's can't got a really, Bass. yeah, and Norm's got a crazy backstory that we haven't really talked through yet. Um, and Raphael, who we introduced in um, uh, Bygones, uh, the park ranger police officer yes, that we see that's true he's fascinating and i haven't he pops in and out he's popping in and out more than i expected um into the stories and i had planned on him kind of becoming a recurring character um but i like to do something with him and he's on the fence because i almost see another series with him mm -hmm. versus just doing a short uh, but i haven't quite puzzled that all the way out yet because he's made some life decisions that i wasn't anticipating going back to your very very early question he's totally done some stuff i wasn't planning um which i can't talk about because that's in the next next sean book uh so that's that's uh, that will be coming out in vengeance uh which is which will be out later in 24 
Um, so I, I kind of, at one point, my master plan was that each of the side characters that we spend some time with, but not a lot, would wind up having a, a short in some way. And by holiday, I'm not talking just Christmas. I'm, I'm thinking any of the big holidays might actually wind up having a, a little short story to go with them. Ironically, I've discovered most of my books are actually uh, written with a holiday as a benchmark. And I, I, I came Fourth up of as, July. Yeah, it came it came up as a social media post in the writers group I'm in. You know, what are your do your books use holidays? And as I went back and cataloged them, I realized every single one of my books has a holiday in there as a touch point. I mean, the very first one, Blindsided, is at Halloween. Um, I think President's Day is an outsider. Um, and and on and on and on. Like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bewitched is around the Fourth of July. Uh, uh, Downhills around Christmas. I mean, they just it just winds up being essentially places which I kind of in, unintentionally, intentionally wind up using them as touchstones so that, that you can kind of mentally get into the right seasonality for what you're experiencing in Maine specifically, not so much in Southern Cal. In Basilius Land, one month is much like any other. <laughs> so it's, it's perfect it's, weather all the time. It's perfect weather all the time. <laughs> Um, but there'll be more, whether there'll be romantic short stories uh, like this one was or just shorts, um, that I'm not sure about. Uh, Alejandro is definitely a romantic one um, for for reasons I can't go into. Uh, Rosie, maybe not, uh, unless suddenly somebody shows up in her life that I wasn't planning on. Uh, she doesn't strike me as somebody who will be dating uh, at this point. Uh, I, I see her far more doting on, on the guys than, than getting into a relationship. But I've been surprised before, so we'll see how that goes on that. But there are definitely going to be more. Well, great. Well, that's all the questions I have for you today. Awesome. Thanks. My thanks to Anna for taking the time to chat about the short. As you can probably tell, we had an incredible time together and are looking forward to doing it again with my future releases. If you like this episode, please let me know. You can reach me through my website at chrisjonsman.com or via Facebook, Instagram, or Mastodon. Snowdrifts is currently available on Kindle, Nook, Apple Books, and Google Play. I'm Chris Jonsman. Thanks for listening. I'm looking forward to seeing you next time.